Okay, I'm just going to continue on the theme uh, that we had. And I, I really think, uh, you know, so many times we, we say about particular messages, I think we all have said this at times, when the word, the written word, is taken by the Holy Spirit, the word that Christ is, that's the eternal word uh, recorded, then when the Holy Spirit takes it and applies it to us, we tend to call it a hallmark message. Each and every single word this morning is, is a hallmark, is an absolute hallmark this morning. That word that comes in and that word that touches our heart. And, and uh, we can be so thankful for the ways that God desires. He, he desires to come in and touch our hearts. Now, we shared on, on 1 Samuel 22, which I thought was a, a phenomenal message. I don't know if it's, uh, if, if you miss some things. And, and when we give the word, when God gives the word like that through, uh, to us and through us, a lot of times we'll miss because it's so much. And that's why I thank God we have these recordings. And that's how very important that they are. Just as important as the word is that we hear, that's what's so important about the website. That's what makes it such an important thing uh, to have those messages there for so many. I think also, too, there's a timeliness not just for when those messages are, are, are taught that God gives us his counsel, but to, but to have them ready for people to take immediately because at that time, I believe it's God's counsel, not just for us, but for so many to be able to hear. And I think even in that, uh, the word takes precedence over everything. And just when, when it does, we are so blessed by that. We become, we become to be so blessed. So I'm just going to read again in 1 Samuel, the 22nd chapter. This is about the cave of Adullam. We went into some of the history of it so that you can, we can have a clear understanding and a beautiful picture of what was going on in David's life. David was on the run for his life. In a sense, he was like a fugitive. He was on, on, on the run. And, and so there he is, and, and of course he escapes to this cave, Adullam. Now, the background of this, where this is located, it's a few miles, a handful of miles on the plains of Judah. And previous to that, previous to that particular time, David, who was a shepherd, we know that. We know that from 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter. He was tending the sheep. He was the last one to be chosen. It's usually God's choice, isn't it? But there has to be patience for us to experience uh, what he chooses for us because in that way he has to separate as he was teaching David. And this is what he has to teach us. When God calls us, he doesn't call us with natural resources. And many times when God is not my supernatural resource, I will go to other resources and they're usually natural and that's why the joy at times will fade so quickly because it doesn't have to do with his love if it's true love god then it's going to be true joy you'll see that in 
Galatians 5, 22 uh, and 23. The ninefold fruit of the Holy Spirit. The first cause, the cause is love. And all the other eight are the effects of that, of that tremendous uh, love that God is. So in the background, prior to this, David was a shepherd. And what he would do, he would not only protect his sheep, he would protect the sheep of these other shepherds. They had these Bedouin robbers and thieves. They would come in and try to plunder the sheep. And David would protect them. He would protect them. So at this time, this is located. There's two things about this location. Number one, it was where David in the future would have his great victory which was in the past, I should say, in the past in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, where he defeated Goliath. And Goliath there is the type of the giants. It's a type of enemy that comes against us that we cannot deal with in our own strength. Of course, and, and we know that, of course, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this particular age, spiritual wickedness in the heights in Ephesians 6 and verse 12. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning they have nothing to do with natural resources. And that's the thing that we constantly go after when, Christ, when we lose occupation with Christ, when we lose that. That's why Jesus was teaching them in Luke 19, 13, in those different parables, about how to be occupied with him to be occupied with him, who was completely occupied about us and still is. So the background is that he would protect all of these. So while he hid in the cave here in 1 Samuel 22, those shepherds would sneak in and supply him with food while he was there. They would also act as spies for Saul's army and saying how close. They would always, so God is always informing him and supplying him still. Like God always supplies us, maybe not in the way that we want and never will be in the way of natural resources. Never be. But God will always raise up enough. That's why it says, give us this day our daily bread. And when Christ is not my all, then I want more than my daily bread. And that can only be what would be attributed to, to lust. And lust is the, is the antithesis to God's love. It's something, lust is always, and lust is, literally speaks of our natural resources. And that is an always competition with the love of God in us. So David is on the run for his life. Saul is, is after him with intense jealousy and hatred toward him because he's functioning under Satan who is evil. So in 1 Samuel 22 and verse 1, it says, David therefore departed there and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. They went down. Then it says, and everyone that was in distress... Have you ever been in distress? Everyone that was in debt, someone owed a creditor. And so we can think of this in, 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 in how the enemy comes against us to cause us distress. And to cause us to think that we're still in debt. 
we still owe God something when Christ has finished the work. So they were in distress. Everyone was in, in debt. And then everyone was discontented. Many times, again, as we've shared, as the Holy Spirit has taken the word and shared to us, that when we become discontented, the reason for that is first, first, we, begin, we get disappointed. Now, here's where we can get disappointed. When Christ is not my guide, when he's not my everything in every circumstance and situation, when he's not, then those circumstances and situations become my guide. And when they fail, when those circumstances and situations fail, I'm going to look to others to supply for me what God himself would only do in being our guide. Psalm 48 verse 14 says, He is our guide until our death. And our death for us in Christ is just our face-to-face -face meeting with Christ in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. That being that in Ecclesiastes 7 and, and verse 1, the day of one's death for us in Christ, really, is, is greater than the day of one's birth. And so when we look at these things here and when we see them, we can see that when we look to others or we look to try and sweeten our circumstances and situations when it's not Christ my occupation, when it's not, and then they fail, I get disappointed. I get disappointed. When I look to others, when I should be looking to Christ alone, and they fail, and ultimately they will because they're, they're not our burden bearer. They're not the ones that dealt with all of our sins and crucified our old nature. They're not the ones that are interceding for. We can pray, but the one who never ceases interceding for us is Christ. So we get disappointed. Then when they fail us, we look within, and then what do we get? We get discouraged. But all of these folks here gathered themselves unto David. Now in the type here, David is a type of Christ in the work that God was doing in David, which David could know, couldn't even do for himself, but then was using him as an example to teach these others, to teach these others, you see. And so he became a captain over them. Now we know who the captain of our salvation is. And in Hebrews 2, verse 11, we know that that is Jesus Christ. So this is what these, these types here, and David is the type of the work that God is doing through him, first through him, and then to others. So here, he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Now many of these were David's relatives. We said this in this previous message and if you haven't heard that, I, I you know, I, I, I would say please listen to that message because it really was just an incredible word of God to us with his counsel. Uh, so many of those 400 were David's relatives, close and distant relatives, and the friends of those relatives who were very dissatisfied and under the bondage of Saul, who, who not operating as a king under God, was operating in himself. And they, it, it caused these 400 to be, ver, to, to be in bondage. And 
They had distress, was never met by Saul. They couldn't meet it themselves. Neither can we. They had distress. They were in debt. They had creditors. They couldn't meet their debt. Neither could we. Who could pay for their salvation? Who could pay for what Christ did? And they were discontented. And they were all under the government of Saul. And then they gathered themselves. They found that David was there. Word got to them. And then they gathered themselves to him. To him. And then in verse 3 it says, David went there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I beseech you, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. He's protecting all his loved ones. That's what prayer does. Praying for protection Prayer is so very vital in spiritual warfare. Prayer is so very vital when the enemy comes in and tries to cause us to be distressed, to be in debt, to think that we owe something. You know, that's what we'll constantly think in the flesh, the fleshly bondage, legalistic teaching that somehow we still owe God something. You ever hear it said, well, Christ having done all of us done all of that for us, the least we can do for him is what? Well, John 15, 1 to 5, John 15, verse 5 says, without him, what can we do? We can't even do one single thing. So to try and function in the flesh, will that do away with the distress, the fact that we are a creditor, and the fact that we become very discontented, very discouraged? You know, someone once said, and I like a, one of the magnetic things that my wife Jean has up on her refrigerator, she says, you never know what a woman is going to be like until she's in hot water. She's like tea, a tea bag in hot water. You don't know. Someone has said this, that you don't know the particular beat of a drum until you hit it, and until you beat on it. And God uses the circumstances and situations to bring out the beauty of Christ in us. Because otherwise, I am telling you, we would be so occupied with other things to the complete forgetting of Christ. To get so involved with other things, we completely forget God. When he's the treasure in us. Basically, what it's saying there is, our treasure is Christ in us. Everything else will fade Every single thing else will be, will be burnt and done away with forever. But Christ, the treasure inside. So, but David, even, even here, he's thinking of his family before himself. Notice that? We need to be careful, all of us as leaders and initiators, as husbands, to be careful when God leads us, that God is leading us, that it's truly going to be for the family and not something we're doing for ourselves. <laughs> I, I, know, I know a man, he, he would always tell me, I'm not going to tell you who that man is, that he would, he would buy his, gift, his wife gifts for himself. <laughs> I don't know who that guy is, but you might know him. <laughs> he would always, he would say that to me. And I thought it was very interesting the way that he would say that. Well, we can see this in the cave of Adullam. We said, again, recently in the previous message 
uh, I believe it was on Friday uh, that we had this message, that what does the cave represent to us that we, we escape into? Well, if guilt is not dealt within us, and it has been, by the way, in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. So who would, you, who would you condemn? Who would a judge condemn? And it would be one who is guilty. There is. So, so, but if I have guilt and it's not dealt with, I take that to the cave and the cave becomes that. So a cave can be guilt. A cave can be prison to guilt. That's what it can be. And, and it can be sickness, we said. A cave where God has to deal with us. It can be sickness. It can be. Fact of the matter is, is what God is teaching us is what he had to teach David here. Is what he's teaching us. How even some of these circumstances that don't seem to be good at all, the things that we would, would want to escape, the things that we pray to God, oh God, change this. <laughs> change this. But when we pray that way, the way that we pray is when we speak or pray to God, it's, it's, it's about how everything we want God to suit to us in our natural resources so that we can live in them and don't experience and don't live in Christ. Because in a lot of those prayers, are, we're necessarily making ourselves to be the issue and not Christ that, to be considered. And, that can be, and that's a very dangerous thing for us. So many of us, many, when, when the going gets tough, what do the tough do? A lot of times, they, they run. Instead of running to him, because that's what the cave is all about. It's to teach us. It's to teach us that only God can do and only what he has done is what he's doing in us. That's all. And that's what's to be uh, in, in our thinking. But we want everything to be easy and suited to us naturally. We want everything to suit us, and we soon forget that. But we, what we forget is God's order. God's order is designed to make us dependent on him for everything. Every single thing. And if our circumstances are not to be our guide. A lot of times they, guide, they, they tell us, okay, your circumstances are bad, so now you, you feel bad. Your circumstances and situations are very bad. You're in a cave, and so that's who you are, and that's how you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be overwhelmed by all of these things because, after all, when did we ever stop being more than conquerors in him? In Romans 8, 37, we're more than conquerors in him because he's in us to never leave us nor forsake us. But the fact of the matter is, is that if we're to walk in God in circumstances, we have to be dependent on him. And so God has a cave prepared for us to deal with the guilt, to deal with the sickness, to deal with the pain. But those things lead us to run. <laughs> and God uses them. We said Again, in the previous message in Psalm 139, there are 24 verses there, but it's specifically in 7 through 12, you're going to, unrun, you're going to unrun, outrun God. You're going to outrun him. You're going to try to escape him, and uh, you can't. You know, when things, when things are really tough, when the, when the times are really lean, 
that's when we most lean upon him and open up our hearts. Because when it's plenty, when it's very, very plenty, that, can, that is when the enemy can come in and make it very dangerous for us because we will soon forget dependence upon God and that he's our true treasure, that he is. Well, we have to be constantly kept. And this is what he was teaching David, that we have to constantly be kept in a state of dependence because in the state of dependence is literally the experience of reality of being free in Christ. Without dependence upon him, there's no freedom. And when there's no freedom, then things attach. The enemy will use the things of the world. 1 John 2.15, this is what it says. And he's speaking to believers there. He's speaking to babes in Christ Young men and women in Christ and spiritual dads and mom in Christ. Love not the world, 1 John 2, 15. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, experientially, is the love of the Father there for him to experience because of dependence, and it's not. It wouldn't be. So the things of the world even though they may not be bad in themselves, and God does want to bless us, but the, the order of the blessing is, is, is brought out and, and beautifully in the scriptures. God, above all things, wants us to, be, to prosper and be in good health in, in, in 3 John 2 and 3. To prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers, you see. So if my soul is not prospering, being severed from all natural resources, am I really prospering as far as God is concerned? And I would not be. I would not be. And so, again, we need to be kept in this this state of constant dependence because the, 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 the complete question for us And this is the answer to all these, you know, a lot of times we come up to God and we have all these questions. Why this? Why am I feeling guilt? Well, why would we be? Why am I sick at this particular time? Why is my health this way? Why is all these things happening? And the answer to those is, those are a cave where God is going to meet you. And do in you what only he can do in you. But he's got to get you into a cave and get, get you alone with him so he can deal with you. Because listen, we tend to think that our lives, we forget God, we forget that, he's, that we have eternal life, and then we start living a natural life and think that's what life is. We're here to just experience a good life. The only good in us is God through Christ. That's the only good that's in us. There is no good outside of that. So the entire question, the entire question with us ought to be this. Am I in the place and and the circumstances that are approved of and designed for me by my father? Did God design this cave for Adullam? For David, the cave of Adullam for David, did he? Yes, he did. Did he do it just for him? Did he do it just for him? And he did not. He did not just do it for David. You see, everything that God is doing in you and I as an individual, yes, it's first and foremost to be a thing of intimacy, but it's also for multitudes. My life is not just about living for me. 
You see, and so when you live that way, you won't need others. You won't need others to help you in natural resources. You won't have that. You won't have a need of that. You won't have a need of that at all. And so that's the entire question. Is, is that cave something where, where was a place that God led David to? And it was. There's absolutely no question about that, that that was the place where God had led him to, for God to deal with him, but not just to deal with him, but to deal with 400 others who were looking to him to be a captain. And of course, Christ, obviously, as we have said, as the scriptures say in Hebrews 2.11, Christ is the captain of our salvation. He's the captain of our complete souls. So when I am in the place, when I'm in the place where only God's ability and God's, my, God's ability is his supernatural ability for me and that becomes my reliability. In other words, I can always rely on God to do what only he can do. That's it. And so he'll give us that supernatural ability to continue there and he will surely supply us Maybe not in the way that we think he should. But everything that God does, he does with the perfection of his will. And his will has to do with his love and his wisdom. And he will surely supply whatever I need, wherever I am, wherever he would have me to be, is that place where he will supply for me. That will be the place where he has that. So does that mean then that God is making everything smooth and everything to be an easy place for me? Is he doing that? Do we see that in the Bible? Do we see that in Hebrews, the 11th chapter? Do we see those things there? Do we see that fact? Was it all easy and everything smooth for them in that particular place? in Hebrews 11. But did he ever leave them or forsake them? And he never did. He never did. If I'm where God would have me to be, you can be sure that he will give me a supply. It will not be natural resources. No, he has to break us of natural resources. He will supply for us, but he will break us of natural resources. And even those things that become natural resources, they were all things that were created by him. But in his love and wisdom, he knows when, where, and how to give us those things and not to go beyond our capacity where that grace and truth has dealt with us inwardly. No. You know what God is leading us to? Would you be surprised and would I be surprised if on the contrary, instead of leading us to easy places, that he would be leading us to difficult ones and teaching us, teaching us that in his strength and by his strength alone, we're able to rise above them. And as he masters us, then he becomes the master of us. He becomes our guide and not our circumstances and not our situations. Not how much food I have, not how much money I have. None of those things. None of those things. No such thing as a good time without the goodness of God. No such thing as having a good time without his goodness in us. 
because good has only to do with God as is brought out in Exodus 34 and verse 6, as is brought out in Matthew 19 and verse 17, as is brought out in Luke uh, 18, 19, uh, and, and down through in those particular verses. What, what is God doing to us? He's causing us for Christ to be our master and to rise above everything because is Christ superior to everything? Read Romans 8, 31 to 39. Is Christ superior to everything? Is he? Is Christ superior to everything? Is he? Is he? In Romans 8, 31 to 39. Is Christ superior to everything? Well, He's superior to them because we are in the strength of Christ. He's the treasure, the strength that's in us. He is the strength that's in us this morning. So we're going to close very briefly and very quickly this morning. But again, I'm just going to read a few scriptures here and then we're going to close. This is Psalm 107. And I just want you to be able to listen to the scriptures this morning. Even as they're read, if we're in a place to, to in, in a place of entreatability and we're in a place to actually listen to them with our whole heart, boy, God can speak to us super abundantly. This is Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Did we see that? Goodness is God himself, for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, for he has redeemed he has redeemed us from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness, and that's what a lot of people do. Christians, they wander in the worldly wilderness because they don't have precise, proper teaching at all. They, be, they, they seek to be their own masters. They seek to be their own teachers. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of all their distresses. Do we see that? I'm going to bring this out in a very crystal clear way uh, tomorrow morning, in a very, very uh, precise way. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of all their distresses. He led them forth by the right way. We know the right way is Christ himself. In John fourteen six, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. In Proverbs 14.12 and in Proverbs 16.25, there is a way that seems right unto a man. But the end of those ways is death. In Proverbs 20, 24, it says, Man's goings are of the Lord. How is it then that men can understand their own way? And we can't. He led them forth by the right way, that they might go into a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul. 
and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. You see, he has to make us hungry. He has to make us tired of tasting things that don't have Christ involved in them. That's why it says in Psalm 38 and in verse uh, 34 and verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But the thing is, in Psalm 34 and verse 2, and this is very, very important, the humble will hear thereof and be glad. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, fills the, lo- the hungry soul with goodness. We're filled up with Christ. You'll see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. Such as sit in darkness. Just think of the multitudes of Christians. Sit in darkness. Sitting in darkness. They're his. But they sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. He brings us down. We go after other things until we finally come to the end of ourselves. And then we hear the Lord say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Why do you spend your money on something that will never give you rest? In Isaiah 55 and verse 2, because you need to come and you purchase without money, because no amount of money could equal the value of what God has accomplished through Christ for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, therefore he brought down their heart with labor, They fell down, and there was none to help. That's where he has to bring us to in our circumstances and situations. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. See, he was doing that with David in the cave, in the midst of his sickness, in the midst of of his health, in, in, in the midst of all these different things. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their bands in sunder. Oh, you know what the bands are? Those things that become attached to us. They become attached to us. Those things, things of the world. Love not the world. Neither the things of the world and the things of the world can be those bands. They can be those bands that keep us in bondage. Verse 15, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of brass, brass and speaks here of condemnation, and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgressions, in other words, knowing what to do and we don't do it, and because of their iniquities are afflicted. They, they, Here we see their soul aboard all manner of meat, everything that God would give, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their distresses. How does he do that? How does God deal with our distresses, our discontentment, our debt, our pain, our sickness? He sent his word and healed them. 
and deliver them from their destructions. You see, the healing that we seek and the things that we desire will come in God's time. But they're accomplishing a great work. In Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for God? No, but it will return unto you at God's set appointed time. And, that, and then you'll experience life. Hope deferred in Proverbs 13, 12 makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. The things that we desire, we may want them just for ourselves. God wants them for his glory, for our blessing, and the blessing of multitudes. That's what Proverbs 13, verse 12 is teaching us. He's teaching us as Christians, our life is not about ourselves. It, for, it starts first with the local assembly. And then with the local assembly, it goes out. It goes out. And that's why you take care of your local assembly first in every way that you can before anything goes out in any area, before anything goes out. That's how it starts. And that's how God does it. And, it, and it sometimes, you know what it takes? It takes a, us getting in a cave and alone with God for him to do in us what only he can do. Many caves that we have, we all have had them and we all need them and he's faithful to supply them. He sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Well, then let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. You know how I know I'm rightly related to God? Because I'm thankful. When I, when I magnify my distress, my discontent, my dis, disappointments, it's because I'm magnifying myself and I'm not offering the sacrifice of, of thanksgiving. This is brought out in Hebrews 13, 15. And the reason that we don't is because in Hebrews 13 and verse 14, we think this is our continuing city. We want to make the city as nice as we can. And sometimes even the cave that God calls us to, we want to dress it up and make it as nice as we can. Well, we offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Then we declare his works with rejoicing. Verse 23, they that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. You know what this means? We want everything in the natural resources. We want everything to be as cozy and as comfortable as can be. We want to be like the little ship that stays tied to the dock. But God made that ship and built that ship to go out in the rough waters because that's where we're going to learn dependence upon him. And that's where we're going to see the greatness of his strength, the majesty of his might. They that go do business in great waters, in great waters, you see, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Oh, I don't want to go way out in the deep. I want to stay in the three-foot section of the pool. I don't want to go out there. That might take some labor. That might take a little more labor. That might make me uncomfortable. That might disturb me. Oh, how we need his disturbances. Oh, how we do. He disturbs those that he loves greatly. For he commands and, raise, and raises the stormy wind. Do you wonder why is such a stormy wind in your life? The way that your finances are this way, that your health is this way, 
that all these things seem to be this way? Well, who raised up that stormy wind? Which lifted up the waves thereof. Who's in control of that? Who's in control of everything in our lives? Well, those waves, they mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. You know, in Job 23 and verse 16, the Almighty troubles me. You know why? You know what those caves, that sickness, that debt, that discontentment, that distress, you know what it does? <laughs> it makes our heart soft. The Almighty troubles me. He makes my heart soft so that his word, who Christ is, can penetrate into me and reveal to me that he is my very life. He is my all. He is my treasure. He is my provision. He's my all. He's every bit of it. Verse 27 says, They reel to and fro, and they stagger like a drunken man and at their wit's end. Have you ever got to your wit's end? In your cave? In your debt, your discontentment, your health, your sicknesses? They are at their wit's end. Now watch what happens when we get to our wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord. You see, natural resources aren't going to meet it. Someone else is not going to meet it. Someone else is not going to do that. No one else is going to do that. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. Then he brings them out of their distresses. He brought David out of his distresses in the cave. And then what he did in David, he was able to use David as a vessel to deliver all these others. Then what does he do? He makes the storm a calm. You remember in Matthew 14, Luke the 8th chapter? He makes the storm a calm, so the waves thereof are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he brings them unto their desired haven. You're not going to get there yourself. And God has given us many godly desires. But like Jacob, God gave Jacob those desires. Then he went about in his own natural resources to try and make it happen. And all it led to was fear. That's all it led to. Well, and we'll close. Oh, men, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the, of the elders. He turns rivers into a wilderness. That's right. And the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turns the wilderness for us in Christ into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. There he makes the hungry to dwell. He makes the hungry to dwell and that they may prepare a city for habitation, for God to habit and sow the fields and plant vineyards which may, which may yield fruits of increase. And this is all of what we have in Christ. And where his habitation? Where is habitation in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16 and 1 Corinthians 16, 19 and 20? We are his habitation. We are that place that God's prepared. And we're to let the word of Christ in Colossians 3 and verse 16 be at home in us as individuals and dwell in us. He blesses them also so that they are multiplied greatly. 
and, and doesn't allow their cattle to, de to decrease. That was their necessary, the cattle was their amount to what would be their money. Their supply would not, would not decrease. Again, they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He does all of this to bring us to a place where we rely on him for everything so that we can trust God fully. In Proverbs 3, 5, trust him. Trust that God is not sleeping. In Psalm 121, 3 and 4 and 5, he's not a God that sleeps or slumbers. Trust that God is, is awake. But trust that while he's awake, that you and I are patient and that God will bring out that blessing in, in a clarity that's going to be unbelievable. And we need to trust God that he'll give us patience to still leave everything, our all to him, to leave it to him. For in seeking to do good apart from him, we would seek, some, we would seek them sometimes to hurry his working, to try and make it happen through natural resources. But he wants us to believe in his mercy in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Believe in his mercy that he is at work. He is. And if I'm humble and I seek his face, I will find the blessing that he has for me, even if it's in a cave. I'll find that he's my all in a cave or on the mountaintops or in the valleys. I will. I trust God and we need to trust him that he will give us all the wisdom that we need, all the grace that we need, all of it. Because God alone is good. And we'll experience it if we walk in grace. And walk in grace in our own self through humility to God and then walk in that grace to others. And Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word. Thank you so much for how pure it is, how beautiful it is, how precious it is. And thank you, God, for always waiting to be gracious. And you, when you bring us to a cave, you wait with us in that cave. You never leave us nor forsake us in Hebrews 13, 5. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.